Hi, my name is Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and here's all the key news in the world of battery materials this month. Welcome to October's edition of Recharge, the podcast of Battery Materials Review. Due to a badly timed cold, I'm afraid we don't have an interview this month, but we're going to have a crack at doing an update with Cormac O'Lara, the MD of Electrics Energy. Cormac, welcome. Hello, Matthew. Interesting month. Uh, lots going on in the batteries and the battery raw material space. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah. What's been going on in China this month? Well, what's the big news in China really in the last couple of months, but really highlighted during uh, September was uh, the um, power curtailment and uh, our rolling blackouts, whatever you want to call it, really uh, really hit the uh, EV and battery industry. It's had ro- uh, effects throughout the supply chain. We might see increased prices in raw materials, increased prices on cathode materials because the electricity is more expensive, right up to, uh, yeah, as we see, even some EV manufacturers have had to curtail production during the month. So something um, we didn't really see, well, I didn't see a few months ago, but, you know, it makes sense with China coming out of COVID now and the increase, or sorry, coming out of lockdown at a mass scale and the increase in energy demand. So most of my Chinese colleagues were discussing the power cuts, but strangely enough, no, 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 no company is willing to admit it was affecting them or their possible output. So it's affecting others. Okay, so and, and that's interesting, but I guess the the big question is: you talked about the supply chain. Obviously, elements of the supply chain are quite power intensive, particularly graphite and synthetic graphite. Are we hearing of substantial disruptions in the supply chain? Well, not seeing hearing anything substantial disruptions in terms in terms of output, even though you know synthetic uh, graphite has been under pressure for a number of months now due to a number of government policies, namely, uh, you know, reduction in uh, the uh, energy uh, consumption and the CO2 output of highly intensive, as you said, the graphite production. We're seeing, you know, more uh, flake graphite being imported into the country, which um, China's been leaning until recently quite heavily towards uh, artificial graphite on the anode side. So it could be, again, as we see pressure and price pressure coming into play, we may see a switch towards our uh, an adoption more of the flake graphite. Okay, that's interesting. And then on the cathode side, obviously not quite as power intensive, but still pretty intensive in places. We've heard a couple of producers say that they've had to cut production. Have you heard of any material production cuts in the cathode side? Cathode production again is uh, energy intensive. You know, as you move downstream, you know the energy consumption of the manufacturing process it gets more intensive. So these power cuts are expected to uh, last for a few more months at least, and um, with the winter po- approaching, could become even more severe. And the in- in- energy intensive part of the supply chain uh, in China, uh, as you mentioned, the cathode material side, uh, anode side, may be uh, hugely affected especially if they're down to a couple of weeks production a month or a few days a week, or a lot of curtailment is at the shifting. So you only have the night shift going producing. So we haven't seen how it's going to play out yet, but uh, it'd be interesting to see. 
the main reflection of this pressure is seeing in the, in the price points again. Not only is there shortages, the short uh, because of just raw material shortages, there'll be shortages due to lack of production capability also, and we'll see that reflected in the um, raw material prices, which don't show any uh, indication of slowing down and their march upwards. Okay, well, that's going to be interesting um, thematic to keep an eye on. Interesting um, month also for announcements on battery factories. Uh, quite a few new factory announcements out this month. Yeah, well, the big one is uh, Asphalt announcing a 60 gigawatt hour uh, facility in Chengdu. I think that bumps them up to 180 gigawatt hour announcements. So a quite aggressive production expansion uh, plan. Uh, but that's in line what we're seeing with the rest of the industry. Uh, Pharisis again, uh, Pharisis who, who claimed to have the leading electric vehicle battery in the industry, uh, have announced a, a 24 gigawatt uh, battery base in uh, Anhui. Then we're seeing Ryson, who are more known for energy storage uh, batteries, uh, also step uh, producing batteries, are planning to produce batteries for the uh, electric vehicle game also with a 10 gigawatt production facility. And then outside China, we have a couple of new ventures announced in Canada, which you know, I think you've been saying for years, not to build gigafactories there, but it might make sense because a lot of the materials are there in the ground. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I think having um, having an industry in North America and Canada in particular, I mean, they've got such plethora of raw materials there. I mean, nickel, they've got graphite, they've got emerging lithium province there. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly makes sense to have a, a focus area in North America, I think. Yeah, yeah. Relatively close to the uh, US market too. So it'll be primarily uh, just to cater for North American market. I, I think uh, maybe Europe, if Europe can ever get independent, but uh, I don't think they'll be uh, exporting to China. Asia. <laughs> okay, great. Before we kick out of China, just wanted to, to circle back. Um, interesting announcement from NEO this month on its hybrid ternary LFP battery pack. Any any views on that? Yeah, it comes uh, hot in the foot steps of uh, CATL, who previous month had the uh, sodium ion LFP uh, hybrid pack. So this is namely addressed that the hybrid pack addresses the limitations of the LFP especially what we saw uh, with the early model Tesla Model 3s made in China, uh, where they was claimed that they were suffering from um, errors in state of charge uh, estimation uh, due to cold weather. So NEO, uh, with this uh, NMC LFP battery pack, think they've solved the issue of state of charge estimation errors in LFP batteries, and, and the batteries can operate at a much lower temperature because of the NMC uh, incorporation into the battery pack. Primarily, these battery packs are, it's more or less LFP battery pack with, uh, you know, a few NMC cells mixed in. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So it is primarily LFP with just a a little bit of NMC to deal with the uh, cold weather, yeah? Yeah, I got a ratio. I don't know if it's accurate, but the ratio things pulled from their patents is 12 NMC cells to 106 LFP cells. Yeah, the NMC, from what I understand, is to deal with the cold weather start, basically, and aid in the state of charge estimation. It's quite neat what they've done. And this just shows you if you're into interested in battery as a service, the customers who are already riding around, it's this battery pack, hybrid battery pack is a 75 kilowatt hour pack. And it's going to be the direct replacement for their current 70 kilowatt hour NMC pack. And so the customers who 
who are using the batteries of service scheme may or may not notice, but next month, when they go into swap, they'll be getting the new NMC LFP hybrid pack, you know, no extra cost. So it just shows if you go battery as a service, as the technology changes and you're driving a Neo in this case, but your car is set up so that it doesn't matter which battery pack is incorporated, that you'll constantly be getting the upgrades and the latest technology without changing your car. But uh, so it's interesting to see how that that played out for uh, those customers that they weren't, you bought the car last year with the ternary pack. Now there's a new pack out and you may have been left behind, but uh, with the batteries of service, you you get the latest every time. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is a a very interesting business model. The swapping slash battery as a service model has got a lot of advantages for the consumer. It does, except you never own the battery. It's, you know, the battery, as we know, for second life and recycling has has a uh, intrinsic value so over i think some chinese customers have done the calculations and what you pay in seven years on the batteries of service is what is the cost of the battery pack so if you own the car long seven years you don't get the value of the pack and and neo do but um you know it suits a lot of people though it suits a lot of people sticking with battery announcement out of gm and lg this month that they've solved their issues. Do we think they've solved their issues? Yeah, I saw that. Um, I think it was a a event. So, so I don't a problem think with the anode tab and tab. Uh, also a folded separator foil. So, yeah. so primarily manufacturing battery manufacturing issues rather than actual quality issues with the with the separator and with yeah. the anode itself. Anode, yeah. They didn't state whether that was in one cell they found or in every cell. And it sounds very specific that maybe they tore apart thousand cells and found that one issue. And I, I think they cell. were saying that this was only an issue when these two errors came together. But um, obviously, they came together in a good old, a, a good few cells. Correct. So it didn't explain that much. That is what a lot of people would have thought in the end. It's a uh, manufacturing issue, either tear in your separator, or in this case, a, a folded uh, tab on the uh, anode. These are uh, typical problems you might see on a lower end of the scale. And um, they seem to be uh, occurring for LG, quite common, uh, you know, common occurrence in the last 12 months. I'm not sure it's going to solve their battery issues, uh, their, their, their current problems. Um, because I mean, I, I guess the, the point that LG is, not LG, sorry, uh, GM is making is that they will be moving over to the Ultium battery in the near future. So hopefully this should cease to be, be an issue for them. And fingers crossed for GM that that will be the case because I think this recall certainly to this extent is a, a big embarrassment for the company, for both companies, in fact. Yeah, well, you know, LG has got a different manufacturing process to, let's say, SK Innovation, to use um, Z Folding and um, have basically zero issues in any of their batteries they ever produced. Now, they, LG is a lot, say SK is a lot smaller company producing a lot less batteries than LG Chem. But LG Chem use um, lamination and stacking, their own uh, production techniques that's developed in-house. And this, well, this may be one of the issues we're seeing the their choice. In, because originally LG Chem uh, went with Z folding, but they found it difficult to produce that ma- uh, high volumes, cells of very high volumes. And then it just slowed down production. So they went back to uh, lamination and stacking. These uh, two errors you just bought, I mentioned these, the, ta- the anode tab and the separator are manufacturing um, production errors. And 
it could be a result of sticking with the elimination and uh, I shouldn't say the word sticking, but going with lamination and uh, stacking. Uh, as opposed yeah, that's to interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you know, I'm sure that LG will be will be looking for those sort of issues in the future, and probably they'll have to do, put in another level of quality control. Yeah, I'm sure they will. But yeah, as you said, the ultimate uh, cell is going to be a pouch a base, uh, style cell, from what I've seen. Looks like it's going to be lamination stacking again, though. So, but you know, that's not it's not clear if that's the issue or not. Okay, let's move on. Bit of interesting news this month with the announcement that Fluence is likely to target an IPO in the US. Interesting business, Fluence being probably one of the few stationary storage businesses that's one independent and two producing a cash flow. Have you got any views on it? It's good to see. Um... There's other energy storage companies that are are listed, but uh, not New York. So, uh, you know, Fluence, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Ireland, and uh, Fluence, one of the first projects was in Northern Ireland where they set up a, a frequency response uh, energy storage facility. And I think it was one of the first in Europe, if, uh, if not the world, I think, uh, back in early 2010s. So I've been watching them for a while. They've done a lot of work in Ireland, actually, in Europe predominantly but they're a global company and their order books are full and they have great relationships with uh, battery suppliers which is right diff- very difficult for energy storage companies to secure supplies of battery uh, cells at the moment from now and into the future until a battery production ramps up because it's all been uh, soaked up uh, by um, the uh, oems and, and the battery manufacturers ev manufacturers so Fluence are basically the gold standard at the moment in um, energy storage. A lot of people want their products. They have um, they have the hardware and the uh, software and the cloud. They have um, years of data. So what's valuable not only is the cells, but it's the data, when to deploy the cells, getting the pricing right, when to release the energy, when to absorb the energy. And um, you know, Fluence have all this uh, information that has been accumulated for many years. So. Yeah, nice to see them listing. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think it's going to be very positive to have a, a blue chip uh, company out in the market. I mean, all of that data that can come into the market, all of that investor education. I think it's going to be very, very positive to have a company like Fluence uh, as a public company going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only other company is uh, Powen. I think they're listed in Toronto. I think they're also a top five energy storage company, more focused in North America, though. Uh, Fluence are working in Asia, South America, Europe, and US. So. Let's head on to the um, raw materials now and, and some quite interesting news, speculation potentially, out of a number of countries this month. And interesting to contrast what we're seeing in Australia, where the Australian government's launched a $2 billion critical materials loan facility to help raw material projects along. And the Western Australian government has unveiled a resources strategy to streamline the approvals process. To contrast that with what we see in the US, where the Congress is flirting with introducing a mining royalty plan, and indeed in Russia, which is also looking to make changes to its mining taxation regime. And you sort of get an idea for what the differences are in in government's views on the mining industry. And Australia has obviously been a key centre for battery materials and is likely to remain so, whereas other countries just seem to be putting fences in place 
to make it more difficult for miners to, to bring projects into production? Yeah, well, you know, Australia is a mining country, very mining friendly country. It's not a surprise that it would be easier to um, develop a, uh, a mining project in Australia than US. You know, you, uh, recently, if you, I don't know if you noticed, for Lithium Americas and uh, their tanker pass, they just, you know, won a court case uh, so they could move forward their, the project. project. Yes, I, I was aware of the, um, the, the, the they won their court case. And I, I think, you know, there's another a number of environmental challenges and challenges against mining projects in the US, which makes it quite a difficult place for the mining industry to do business. And I oh, guess yeah. that, that sort of feeds very nicely into probably the final point that I, I want to make yeah. on this call. How come, is, you know, Australia's got huge indigenous uh, regions also? You don't have, like we don't hear the same kind of pushback. No, no. I, I, I mean, um, there have been a few faux pas in Australia. Oh, yeah, they uh, were. Yeah, you're right. the, the, yeah. the Rio Tinto uh, iron ore. Yeah. I think you could call it a disaster, quite frankly. There have been a few faux pas in Australia, but I, I, I think all of this feeds quite nicely into the point that I want to make, which is yeah. the cost of mining is increasing. And I think, you know, when you factor in the energy crisis that you talked about earlier, which is unfortunately not just in China, also in Europe, potentially in, in other countries in the world, hydrocarbon prices increasing and increasing underinvestment in raw materials for batteries, which likely to make prices go higher. Everywhere we see, we see pressure on costs all the way through the economy. And I think that's likely to have pretty substantial implications, not just for our sector, but for the global economy going forward. Yeah. Well, the DOE just released their, um, what they believe, the Department of Energy US, uh, what the current battery price pack, uh, and they have it at 156 US dollars per kilowatt hour, which is a long way way above what BNF were, were, were showing was uh, at 135 US dollars per kilowatt hour. And what they use two different methods to get through it. Um, and main difference with DOE is they use the actual energy you get out of the pack rather than the, the label on the pack. So it just shows you that uh, we're still, uh, you know, quite a distance away from uh, the under 100 US dollars per kilowatt hour, especially for the ternary uh, chemistry battery packs. And, and I mean, it's very difficult to believe that we can get there now that we're looking at such a shortage of, of raw materials and prices. You don't need to just look at lithium prices, but prices really of all battery raw materials have headed substantially north this year. Yeah, hundreds of percent. That As you said, lithium chemicals are up over 200% for the carbonate and the hydroxide. Yeah. Spodumene, I can't even figure out the price of spodumene at the moment. I'm reading <laughs> I don't think anyone thousand. <laughs> Some firms are quoting uh, 2,444 as the going rate. I think that was, the, was that not the price in the uh, recent auction? Well, Pilbara got, I think it was 2,300 for SC 5.5 and suggested it would be 2,500 for SC 6. Right. Okay. That was it. Okay. Wow. 5.5. I think, we, uh, so we're going to, is the SC 6 going to be removed any? Uh, I thought that was the... The standard. Uh, so, so SC6 is, is the standard, but increasingly yeah. as the shortage becomes, you know, more profound, it's yeah. becoming about lithium units. Yeah. You got, yeah. 
yeah, just the unit itself, I guess, is the best way to measure it now. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a very interesting one. And I mean, you know, if I had a penny for everybody who asked me what I think lithium prices are going to look like over the next couple of years, I, I would be able to give up this business. But um, I mean, I think it is a very difficult one. And um, I wrote in, in this issue of Ashley Materials Review about my thoughts on, on lithium pricing. And I think we are going into a new pricing paradigm. Spot prices have now gone above the peak of the last cycle. I think that uh, in the near term, I see a huge, huge structural deficit in, in lithium. I think the prices could, could go up by multiples. And I think only now are the battery companies and the auto companies starting to pay attention. And, and for some of them, it's going to be too late. Yeah, I just don't know what's going to come first. Is it going to be that we never get the price of an EV on parity with a, a IC? Is that what's going to happen first before it takes? Because it looked like smooth sailing over the last two years or more. We're just coasting into getting to parity with ICE. And um, what we I mean, to tell you the truth, it, it could have been smooth sailing now. There was every... All- uh, opportunity for the autos industry and battery industry to invest in raw materials over the last three or four years, but they haven't. So, you know, now we have a situation where uh, I, I think realistically there is no competing technology for battery electric vehicles. So, you know, if we want to decommodize, it is battery electric vehicles for now. So, uh, assuming that. People yeah. start to invest in capacity. And obviously, after the end of the month, we've seen China Inc. bidding for more lithium assets in the world. So clearly, the news is out in, in some parts of the world, even if it isn't out in the Western world, that there's a shortage of lithium. I think that eventually we will get to a point, maybe towards the end of this decade, maybe at the beginning of the next decade, when raw material prices do come down. Um, there is enough supply in the market. But it's going to be a very, very ropey few years if companies do not start making capital available for new capacity. Yeah, it's not the interesting side. I noticed a lot of lithium tech companies like uh, Lilac Solutions got substantial investments this month where, you know, Lilac, they're uh, providing solutions for purification uh, and, and, and removing lithium from either prime projects or hard rock projects. I think they do hard rock projects. And, and I mean, you know, fingers crossed that that is successful, but that's not a near-term solution, unfortunately. We've got a, at least a two to three-year period when we've got strong visibility as to what supply is coming into the market. And quite frankly, it's just not, not enough. You know, fingers crossed, all of these really interesting technology solutions work. And, you know, it's able to to bring prices down from super normal levels, because I I fear that if prices remain very high and very volatile for longer than three or four years, then the autos industry will look for different technology solutions, because it will have to. Yeah. All along, it was going to be the price that was going to drive this. You know, it's going to be cheaper to drive this car than I see. But just in decarbonization alone, even if batteries don't get the parity, the uh, gasoline will still be phased out. And, you know, if uh, as you said, all manufacturers may have to search for an alternative. because right, I still... think the other 
the other issue is if you look at total cost of ownership, if we're right and gasoline prices go high, stronger for longer, that obviously means that you don't have to worry about battery prices coming to the $100 per kilowatt hour level. If oil prices double or triple or even quadruple, which is very much viable on the map, then total cost of ownership for your electric vehicle, you could still compete even if you don't hit the $100 per kilowatt hour level. Yeah, well, I think you mentioned in Better Materials Review that as soon as the first hiccup in the petroleum market occurred in the UK, that the surge in interest in the EV uh, by uh, UK car owners was, uh, you know, massive. So willing... It's very polite of you to call it a hiccup. <laughs> <laughs> I would use a different up word, but right. um, hiccup is, is fine, ended I guess, up? for, uh, for this, uh, <laughs> for this uh, subject. But uh, yes, as you say, the um, the searches on electric vehicles went up 1,600%. So I think in some ways, the issues with the energy crisis will be very supportive of the battery sector. The problem is, can the battery sector actually increase supply rapidly enough to benefit from that? And unfortunately, at the moment, in my view, it cannot. And it cannot because there's a shortage of battery raw materials. So you know, we are in a very interesting catch-22 here, that there's huge interest in our sector, but because of underinvestment in the supply chain, our sector will not be able to benefit to the extent it should be able to. Yeah. Is this a timing issue? Uh, you know, because the sector is just just getting going. Is it, a st- you know, is the timing staggered? Do you usually get the investment first before you see the market uh, now we have the market maybe the investment follows well i think we're we're dealing with a very different situation i think for the auto industry and i don't think the auto industry has quite got its head around the fact that in dealing with the battery raw materials market it's dealing with a very immature market i think the auto industry is used to dealing with the steel industry and the aluminium industry and the plastics industry where you know if they want 10,000 tons more or less of material they just call their manufacturer and say look i need ten thousand tons more or i'm going to buy ten thousand tons less it's not like that in the battery industry you know in the battery industry we're looking at an industry in lithium for instance it's growing going to grow seven to ten times over the next 10 years there is no spare material in the system unless the industry is successful in bringing in investment and because such a cyclical industry and we're just coming off a three-year price collapse and there's been absolutely zero investment in the industry that's really what we're dealing with i mean you know it's not just in lithium it's in graphite it's in cobalt and manganese and you know nickel as well to some extent but um i think that's what the autos industry has struggled to deal with but it must deal with it very very rapidly if we're not going to get into a very substantial pickle quite frankly yeah and i just mentioned uh you were talking about nickel there just uh, indonesia uh, i just was reading the bmr there's going to be investment in uh, lithium chemical production down there i presume that's going to come from australia the uh yeah I, I mean quite possibly most likely it will come from australia that's where the most advanced hard rock projects are it could come from africa but this is ting uh, shan again right they're a couple of years out, the African projects. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it is Singshan. Yeah, it's one of the companies that's involved, definitely. Yeah, it's quite interesting that they building it in Indonesia. I guess you know if that um, LG project goes ahead in in, 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 in Indonesia, uh, I think they announced over twenty gigawatt hour uh, battery production facility. It makes sense. They certainly have a lot of what they need in Indonesia. They have the nickel. They have a bit of cobalt associated with the laterite assets there. You know, if they put lithium in place. Yeah, no lithium. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, um, you know, then you, you only really need to import the graphite and um, and the high purity manganese. So. It seems like it's uh, yeah, 50,000 tons of lithium hydroxide and 10,000 tons of lithium carbonate. Is that, so that doesn't really reflect the Chinese market. We're shifting towards LFP in the last year. Well, I, I suppose if you're putting it into a major nickel producer, you're going to be focusing on on ternary. One of the yeah. points about the Chinese market is it's China is short nickel, so it makes sense for them to go the LFP route. Whereas I guess if you're in Indonesia, which is very long nickel, it makes sense to go the ternary route. Yeah, well, I know you mentioned it. You know, GM are uh, making a cathode plant down there. I think Shanshan, a couple of like Chinese cathode manufacturers are actually producing cathode material and a cam material. So that basically shores up that supply chain. Nickel's available, lithium hydroxide will be available. I guess they got a little bit of cobalt. Where's the cobalt going to come from? The cobalt is uh, cobalt in the nickel ores, small yeah. amounts, but there is yeah. cobalt there. So that's where they'll get the cobalt from. And probably they'll need to import the high purity manganese and yeah. graphite yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Euromanganese have uh, an interesting little uh, JV I was reading during the week. Was the Nano One, the one part uh, synthesis for uh, they're going to be developing a lithium manganese oxide cathode material for the European market, I believe. But that's October news. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that's October news. We'll cover that next month, hopefully when yeah, I have a yeah. voice again. Okay, in the interest of time, let's call it today there. I'll say to Cormac, thanks very much indeed for your time. And uh, we'll hopefully speak more next month. Yeah, I hope your voice is back, Matt. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. So that brings us to the end of our podcast for October. You can get more detail on any of the topics we've discussed in the latest issue of Battery Materials Review, which you can find at www.batterymaterialsreview.com. I'm Matt Fernley, editor of Battery Materials Review, and this has been Recharge. Thanks for listening.